You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we get started, we just wanted to give everyone a heads up that uh, the next couple of shows, including this one, are being pre-recorded a couple weeks in advance. Kyle will be heading out of the country and we won't be able to do our regular weekly recording. So just to make sure that we keep you filled with some great beer content, we are trying to get some shows ready for the upcoming weeks. The shows will be a little bit shorter and content may not be as timely, but hopefully still informative and useful. Regular weekly recordings will resume in late April. And we apologize, of course, for the inconvenience and hope you still enjoy. And with that out of the way, let's get something to drink. One of these days, it's just going to go straight into the microphone. I know it. I mean, they always sound really good. And it's pink. Well, hold on. Right even before you've poured that, it is... Yeah, that looks really good. Okay, so what what do we have here? Today, we're opening up One Ton of Black Currant by Tool. Tool. This is a gypsy brewer out of Copenhagen. Um, one of my favorites in terms of sours and fruit beers that i've had recently yeah i think you've you have lent me i was gonna say you let me borrow but you you gifted me we traded i believe it was a dry hopped sour was it part of their their sour their sur series part of the sour ipa series that they did yes they had some sour ipas in that series and the combination of like the hoppy Mm. and the sour is just wonderful it really really is this However, is not going to be like that, I would assume. This is a 7.1% ABV sour ale. Uh, the one ton comes from the fact that they use 1,000 kilograms of black currant per 1,000 liters of water. That's incredible. Wow. So what, what, what does a black currant look like? Because I'm wondering what the water content is of, of one of those and really what the sugar content is because it for it to be a sour ale at 7.1% is pretty high for for what I'm used to seeing for a sour. Black currant looks a lot like a blueberry. Okay. All right. I can't say that I've had one in uh, person, but looking at some pictures here and kind of judging by what I'm reading, it's a lot like that. And I think it's a a popular flavor in Europe. One of those where what we expect to be kind of the the purple skittle ends up being the black currant skittle in in the UK that kind of thing. The the translation isn't isn't great. It's, um, it's native to temperate parts of central and northern Europe and northern Asia. Got it. Okay. Cool. Let's smell. Let's smell first. Fruity, a little sour, but not a whole lot of the smell. Kind of you know. It, puckering your your nose if you would it's not like getting right in there like you Mm. would expect a lot of times from from a sour got a really dark kind of purpley purpley body going on Mm -hmm. with a nice light pink foam on top now this would have been perfect to print our faces on if we're (laughs) we're looking for a a palette to uh to, (laughs) to print on the foam this looks like a perfect one that is true. And in case you did not listen to last episode, we discussed an article about a new foam printer where mm-hmm. you can basically print any image you want in um, a an edible dye on top of beer foam. Now, I was I was thinking about that, and it, someone brought up the the point to me that the head on beer dissipates so quickly. What's even the point? Why why would you even want to do that? Because foam on coffee is lasts a while 
it's much different than the head on, say, an IPA or, you know, you want that to kind of dissipate. And I, I don't like foamy beer that much. And a picture on it, eh, it's, it's clever for about five seconds and then it's gone. Then what? Well, you have five seconds to snap your photo for Instagram. <laughs> That's true. That's true. This one's actually lasting a lot longer than I would have expected. Um, but it's pretty good. It's not as tart either it's it very fruit forward yes i'm noticing that i don't feel i don't feel the um i don't feel the pucker in the back of my mouth you know what it reminds me of it's like if you melted down a sorbet and kind of got some of the weird foamy icy bits in there but it's real kind of condensed version of of that fruit very sweet uh, it does little, have a little sour. It does have a little bit of a a like a a bitter a bitter aftertaste to it, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little bit there, kind of woodsy, uh, like uh, like the 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 shrubbery, the the bush, the like kind of grassy, earthy, yep, earthy. Um, and I think that that might be a product just of the fruit that they used, or just the sheer amount of the fruit in there. Um, I can imagine a lot of the flavor that we're getting isn't going to come from. You know the the wheat and oats in it. It's not going to be anything like that. It's just going to be the fruit. You know, yes, exactly. almost like a fruit ale, fruit wine type yeah. type beverage. I, I do, I do get, I get that the notes of like the wine side too. Mm-hmm. Out mm-hmm. of that, it's got a little bit of that the tannin going on, yeah, kind of yeah, the, the thing. flavor, yeah. Which I would assume comes from the obviously from the fruit itself. It is cool to note that this is part of a new series from Tool um called one ton of so i'm curious to see what else they do with this ah okay and but because they are one of those kind of traveling breweries and they you know don't they aren't sticking to one particular style from one particular place i'm curious to know whether collaborations in this whole one ton series end up you know like getting georgia peach or (laughs) you know things like that that are more regionalized It'll be interesting to see, especially um, being a European um, brewer. It's pretty difficult. Getting in it here really can be is. difficult. Yeah. Um, they do have a pretty decent um, distribution in the United States, um, but having followed their social, there are so many things that I just never see here that they post pictures of. Oddly enough, they have a beer, like a beer shipping service, but only in Europe. Now, it, it, what this reminds me of, too, is um, good beer in Orange County. They do a lot of fruited sours and fruited uh, wild ales, but never with this much fruit in them. It's always kind of a golden sour with, and then like put in a fruit, kiwi, uh, peach. They'll put hops in them usually to kind of balance them out and add more of the bitter from the hop rather than from the actual fruit itself. Um, but this this fruit in particular seems to be a nice blend of bitterness and sweetness and sourness all in itself I, i'm wondering how much of the black currant is coming through with this just because both of us are not familiar with the fruit itself you know how much of the fruit is coming through in this is it entirely fruit and it just kind of has a little bit of effervescence to it or is it you know more wild ale less fruit i would also note that if you are the fact that this is a sour ale um, if you're kind of hesitant in terms of sour and like those those tart like pucker bombs, this is not one of those. It's kind of a nice mix of sweet, sour, hoppy all in one. 
Yeah, kind of almost like a like a soda or a candy or an mm. Italian soda type type flavor. Have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. All right, let's get into some community updates and some of the more recent additions to the Untapped app. But because we're recording this early, we don't have any news on any particular release that you need to update to other than the most recent release of the Untapped app, both in the App Store and on Google Play. So make sure you go and update. So in the absence of any major updates for you, we just wanted to give you a little reminder that we are always listening. We are always looking for feedback and suggestions and just comments from our users. So if you have any of that, we would love for you to take a moment and let us know. Some ways you can do this are heading over to our help site, which is help.untapped.com. Obviously, if you are new or have some questions, we have plenty of helpful guides there. Um, But if you have any suggestions or anything you can't find, you can always submit a new help ticket. Uh, We will get that and we will take a look at it and we will get back to you. You can also, in the app, go to the settings section and tap on the feedback button, which will auto-populate an email form to us at feedback at untapped.com. Feel free to just write whatever you'd like in there, suggestions, issues you're having, um, and we'll get back to you through there. As you'd expect, we are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can leave us any feedback there and we'll get back to you. We're at untapped on all those platforms. If you prefer to go old school, you can also email us at help at untapped.com. That will link into our ticket system and we will help you out there. And of course, if you're enjoying the app and you just want to let us know or let other users know, leave a review in the App Store, the Apple App Store, or on Google Play. It does really help people find the app and it helps let users know what you're enjoying, why you like Untapped, um, and we always appreciate a review there. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com, coupon code PODCAST to get 20% off. This week, we've got one brand new sponsored batch to tell you about. It's the 2018 Cheers to New Beers badge from our friends at Yard House. To unlock this badge, you'll need to check into three beers from a list provided at any Yard House location between March 26th and May 13th. Every year, Yard House sends their beer experts traveling around the world in search of the best beers to add to their menu. Each location gets a new list of beers curated to represent the best in local beer. There are over 400 new beers tapped at Yard Houses across the country, with every location getting at least 20 new ones added to their menu. Be sure to stop by, enjoy some beer, and unlock your badge. All right, let's move on to our Style of the Week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. This week, we're going to take a look at the classic style, the Pilsner. I love Pilsners. It's a very difficult style, so I hear, at least. The lager and the pilsner, right? They're both very light, and it's hard to hide behind you know, the, the very simple flavors and the very lightness of both of those styles. And that light, crisp, refreshing sense that they give you are great for the heat here in California. Absolutely. The pilsner style originally comes from the city Pilsen in the Czech Republic. 
1839, city officials founded the Burger Brewery, which is the Citizens Brewery, to brew the pioneering Bavarian style. At the time, brewers had begun aging beer made with bottom fermenting yeasts in caves, basically lagering them, which is the cold fermentation process, which helped improve the beer's clarity and shelf life. The Pilsen Brewery created its first batch of Pilsner on October 5, 1842. The combination of the brighter malt, the city of Pilsen's remarkably soft water, the local saws, noble hops, and Bavarian-style lagering produced a clear golden beer that was regarded as a sensation. Around the same time, efficient glass manufacturing had led to lowered glass prices. Believe it or not, this allowed the general population to purchase glass drinking vessels, which up until then were luxury items. Okay, I've got to ask, what were they drinking their beer out of up until this time? Were they clay cups, I assume? I, or... I picture like wooden grog mugs. Okay, wood, yes. Wood would probably be good. I was thinking like a boot, dust, yeah, dust boot, go, just yep. a boot of like a foot. You just roll, roll into the pub and take your shoe off? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we're talking about nuanced flavors, boy, that's, that's going to get you right there. Thankfully, they had the new glassware and not a boot, Mm -hmm. and this glassware showcased the visually pleasing golden clarity of the Pilsner, which further influenced its rapid popularity. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, at the time, I'm wondering what other, well, especially if, if glass was not popular at the time, if it wasn't cost effective, obviously, what other colors of beer were they having? Were they unfiltered styles? Was it was it the haze craze before the haze craze? Is what I'm asking. You're asking me questions that I just don't have the answers to. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm just curious. It may be darker. Witty banter, not stumping questions. Got it. Okay, not the hard questions. Deal. Darker beers were definitely uh, more of a thing I, at the time. At the time, interesting. I believe that it's the the cold lagering and um, probably probably well no probably the uh, the the yeast at the bottom right is it it all collects it it's not in suspension because of the whatever. cold lagering. The, yeah yeah yeah. In 1853, the beer was available in pubs in Prague. In 1856, it came to Vienna, and in 1862, it made its way to Paris. Improving transport led to the availability throughout Europe. And of course, as it became more available, the Pilsner style of brewing was soon widely imitated. In 1859, Pilsner beer was registered as a brand name at the Chamber of Commerce and Trade in Pilsen. In 1898, the Pilsner Urkel trademark was created and put an emphasis on being the original brewery. Believe it or not, the Pilsner Urkel brewery is still around today, brewing the same original Pilsner. Have you had it before? I actually just took a look here. I haven't checked into it before, but I do distinctly remember having this. Yes, I've definitely had it in the past. I'm just surprised that I haven't logged it. Strange. It's, I don't know why. I need to. I need to, I need to get this. This is very widely available, is it not? Yes, it is. Until recently, the Pilsner Cal Brewery fermented its beer using open barrels in the cellars beneath their brewery. Um, This changed in 1993 with the use of large cylindrical cooled tanks. They do still make small samples, um, brewed the traditional way so that they can taste uh, the comparison between the two. A modern Pilsner has a very light, clear color from pale to golden yellow and a distinct hop aroma and flavor. The alcohol strength is typically between 4.5 to 5%. As with everything that we seem to discuss, Pilsners have been experimented with, twisted and moved around. I've seen Imperial Pilsners. Yes. A stronger brewed Pilsner is considered an export Pilsner. Interesting. Um, There are some variants on the style, but if you want to go classic, 
and you want to taste the original, definitely track down the Pilsner Ocal. So I have one in mind um, here, uh, the Imperial Pilsner. I have had one before. Um, I had the Rogue Ales and Spirits Morimoto Imperial Pilsner. Um, it is a 8.8 ABV. So obviously higher on the alcohol spectrum, 74 IBU. But again, this is, <laughs> I, I, I rated it pretty highly. Uh, this was back in 2014. It isn't a style that I have ever seen since then. It's not one that I have really seeked out much, but it is, it is one that we have in the app. So I've, I would be, I'd be both interested in trying the Pilsner Urkel, obviously to just kind of taste history and then to search out and seek out an Imperial Double Pilsner. It's, it sounds intriguing. It sounds very hoppy. It does. It's hoppy, but also the whole idea of keeping it cool and having a very, very cold beer. When we when we went over the temperatures for the what you were supposed to serve beer at, Pilsner and Lager were at the very bottom, just being like 45 degrees, super cold, super crisp. It just, it tastes like beer it is what beer in its most pure form kind of is to to me personally yeah that makes sense um and it's it's a a very intriguing style it does have quite the history for a beer that most people just kind of think very little of sure or you know they they equate it to light beer or they equate it to something that is not interesting enough to it's not palate wrecking basically it It has a lot of subtleties and to think that the original place where it was created is still creating it today is kind of mind-blowing especially after all the discussion of beer styles that have died out, come back, died out, come back, right? (laughs) This one's been strong since day one. There we go. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to try this. All right, let's look at some interesting beer articles that we found this week. First up, we have an article from pastemagazine.com. Reddit has banned r slash beer trade, one of the web's biggest beer trading forums. And it just disappeared. They just axed it completely. In, in the blink of an eye. Or in the refresh of a browser, if you would. So if you are not familiar with Reddit, uh, imagine the largest message board on the internet. The front page of the internet. There you go. That's what they describe it as, right? Yeah. I know it's a daily visit for me, if not an hourly visit. And we do have an untapped community uh, that is sort of unofficially living on Reddit. Um, it's a bunch of folks who like to discuss beer. Um, it, you'll see blog posts. You'll see interesting articles on there. It's not run by untapped folks, but it is run by a very a passionate community of untapped users. And we do check in every so often. Yeah. You can find that at reddit.com slash r slash untapped. But the board that we are specifically talking about here is the r slash beer trade. Uh, So a new update to the Reddit policy has spelled the death of one of the web's biggest, most popular, and most active hubs for craft beer fans to trade their favorite brews. So let me just talk about trading real quick, because I've never participated in a beer trade ever, other than obviously maybe in person. It's basically that, but on the level of the internet, right? You're doing this for that. It is just a literal trade of goods no money exchanging hands it's all in good faith correct and some people will do it based off of value some people will just do it based off of style some people just don't care and just want to try things so um, depending on how it goes it could be really smooth it could be you know having to seek out things it's a great way to find stuff from people that aren't local if you want to you know trade someone on the east coast for some west coast beer it's just it's all around just uh, another great way for the community to expand and for people to experience 
beer that they might not normally be able to experience. I have participated in a few trades on there. Um, the ones mostly that I have been a part of were uh, more of like a secret Santa trade mm-hmm. um, where people that sounds like fun. Yeah. Where, where people sign up and you're assigned someone and you get an idea of like what they like, and then you can seek out and send them up to a certain amount of, of beer. Um, that's fun. It's, it's far less involved than like a, uh, I'll trade you this for that, or I'm seeking this in it's exchange not, it, for that. Like Pokemon cards, but alcoholic beverages. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the world that I'm coming from. There you know, go. that was probably the last pogs, maybe for the last time, <laughs> last thing that I ever traded. Baseball cards. I mean, it, I, the list goes on, but that was really the last thing that I ever attempted to trade. So there were some sweeping changes across Reddit, specifically around the use of Reddit to conduct transactions. So Reddit's goal was to crack down on certain items and services being sold on their site, including firearms, ammunition, stolen goods, just to name a few. Um, They're trying to kind of take a stand against making it easy for people to acquire controlled items, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately for us, um, beer falls into the drugs, including alcohol and tobacco category in this new change. Um, some, Some are arguing that beers are being traded, not sold. Um, but uh, an unofficial uh, response by a Reddit employee basically said that due to the controlled nature of alcohol, Reddit is not built to ensure that sales are happening legally. So the idea is they they don't know if somebody underage is trading. They don't know if the transaction's happening. It's not like eBay or something with feedback right. where you're, there's um, a certain level of accountability. Certain level of accountability. Right. And that makes sense because the age verification process through Reddit is pretty much anonymized. It's you are who you say you are through Reddit. Uh, it doesn't tie back necessarily to a, a quote unquote like real user profile as as though Facebook does. Um, you can't tie one to one person versus account on Reddit. So you could, in essence, there are ways that Reddit is accountable for the things that its users are putting on there and they don't, again, they don't want to be accountable for those transactions, those quote unquote transactions, whether they're exchanging money or not, it is a, it is accountability on that platform because goods are exchanged. I have, I have several friends who have participated in trades via Reddit. Um, I'm sure people have been burned. I have not had any, um, I haven't heard any stories from people close to me. Um, but it definitely has made the rounds in the community. Well, again, it's that that isn't the reason why Reddit is shutting it down either. It's not that yeah. you know people are are having issues or filing complaints or anything like that. It's that they're doing this sort of sweeping change in all of their services to disallow certain things to be transacted between two different users. Yeah, um, and and it makes sense that alcohol obviously would fall under this, both in a like subreddit category where there is this forum specifically for that and also in our in our own subreddit where we did have a beer trade forum as well for any users that unofficially were on there talking to each other and making up their own minds on whether they wanted to trade things with another user or not so where are people going now now that that this change has been instilled on or been enacted on all of all of reddit in totality. I have heard from some friends that they are going to uh, some closed Facebook groups with um, people who they are vetting it to let in. And I know some people who have been using Instagram, um, just basically posting up what you have in a photo for trade and getting messages back. Um, a little more difficult, but um, I guess doable. And there are other sites out there for trading um, specifically, um, but no more Reddit. 
The next article we have comes from the NewYorkTimes.com, and it is an unholy fight over saintly beer. For more than 170 years, West Veltrum beer has been produced and distributed solely by the Trappist monks at St. Sictus Abbey in West Viltrin, a village in western Belgium. Um, West Veltrin beer is often hailed by aficionados as one of the best in the world, and it's very difficult to find. The mystique and the exclusivity is what makes it very uh, sought after. There are a lot of check-ins, and with a brewery rating of 4.44 on average for only three beers it is incredible. That is incredible. I can't say I've ever had this one, but I know people who have, and I have seen it around. Um, often in the States here, it's referred to as uh, Westies. Mm-hmm. I know there was a round when um, Westie 12, as it was referred to, um, was available in like a special package at Total Wine. Uh, that was picked up and sold out pretty fast. So that one in particular is a Belgian quad, it looks like. So they're obviously they're brewing Belgian beers from Belgium. Um, again, this is one that I've, one, never even heard of, and two, haven't even ever thought about the exclusivity of or the history of, of this particular beer and brewery. So now where does the unholy fight part of this come from? Yeah, I'm curious. All right. So a branch of Jan Linder's, a Dutch supermarket, uh, sold more than 7,000 bottles without the monk's permission, and they sold them at 10 euros each, which is several times higher than the original price. Now, the monks denounced the sale, um, saying that the aim behind their beer is not to commercialize it, but to kind of finance themselves and to support the abbey. Normally, West Fultrian beer is famously hard to get a hold of because customers need to visit the monastery in order to buy it. Okay. Like, actually go to the location and not... You can't get it at a supermarket or you can't get it at, like you said, Total Wine. At least that's what the, the thought was. Yes, I, I believe there was a special collaboration for the um, for the package that went around at the Total Wines. Sure. Um, I'd have to dig a little deeper to get exactly how that went. But for the most part, you can only get it at the Abbey in Belgium. Um, and then requests have to be placed in advance if you want to get more than six bottles at a time. It's incredible. So I'm looking at another article here actually over at Business Insider where they did sort of a a whole overview of how the how the brewery grew in popularity and some of the the eccentricities let's say around this beer or around this brewery where they only have three beers that they're brewing um and you do like you said need to reserve at least 60 days ahead of time to be able to get your hands on this yeah and this goes on to say that uh, on the new york times that once a reservation has been made customers must give a license plate number and the monks must verify it on the pickup vehicle in order to allow them to enter the monastery. And that same vehicle is not allowed to buy more beer from the monks for at least 60 days. So we were talking about beer trades. This sounds like the ultimate in beer trading, right? This, if you had one of these, it, great exclusivity. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what you would trade it for. This, it sounds like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to try this. Yeah, I can't even imagine um, wh- what you would... No, like this is this is something Nothing. some some one of your friends goes on a trip and they bring it back and everybody celebrates right right well hopefully i mean knowing that you have to have a car for this i am definitely renting a car if i ever take a trip over there yeah so <laughs> so the idea here basically is that the monks work in the abbey they brew the beer and they sell it basically to support themselves and the idea that a grocery store somehow got a hold of what was it 7000 bottles and sold them at a markup 
is where this kind of like anger really comes into play, as wow. you can imagine. How would something like that even happen? Uh, it says that the uh, supermarket chain went through a number of different um, connections and ended up getting it. Um, didn't go too into too many specifics, but uh, yeah. It, it sounds like there was something shady going on, potentially. Potentially yeah. shady. Uh, Jen Linders did uh, issue an apology for the one-off sale, uh, but they did add in a statement on their website that it wanted to thank customers for introducing them to this beautiful beer. Next up from foodandwine.com, the 25 most important American craft beers ever brewed. I mean, this is, this is an imperatively important list for, for us. I mean, I, I'm probably sure that I haven't had most of these, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to know what food and wine thinks are the, the most important American craft beers ever brewed. And so they start this article off with uh, more than 5,000 breweries, some of which produce dozens of different beers every year. America is home to the largest and most diverse beer culture in the world. But as exciting as new beers appear, but as exciting new beers appear weekly in bars and on specialty shop shelves, we shouldn't forget their forebears. Okay, so this is almost a, a historical look at the top twenty-five beers in all of America. Basically, the most influential, the classic, the ones that either introduced something, broke grounds, or have stood the test of time. Okay. Interesting. So I've gone ahead and pulled the top five from this article. If you want to see the full list, you can check out the link in our show notes, which is over at podcast.untapped.com. But let's dive right in here to the top five. So coming in at number five, we have Hetty Topper from The Alchemist. This was first canned in 2011 by the small brewery in Vermont known as The Alchemist. Um, Hetty Topper's reputation reached unexpected heights, and it kind of set the stage for the New England-style double IPA. I'm going to give you some stats as you're reading through these. Uh, we've had a total of over 580,000 check-ins to Hetty Topper, averaging about 4.62 uh, with over 171,000 ratings. So pretty pretty influential, I would say, here uh, on Untapped at least. Yeah, I did have Hetty Topper a while back, um, several years back. Um, it, it has been referred to as the Pliny of the East Coast. Um, it was very difficult to get a hold of. Uh, and it was amazing. I need to try this. I haven't had it. My seeing you and then a big orange zero underneath it on untapped.com hurts me a little bit, especially knowing that this is top five. I, I have to try this. I have to. Coming in at number four, we have the classic Allagash White. Uh, this was introduced in 1995. Is a Belgian-style wheat beer. Before people jumped into sours and gozas and all that stuff, this was kind of a transitional. It basically, it helped open people's minds to Belgian-style beers that were more palatable. It, it wasn't, it wasn't um, your classic American wheat beer, but it wasn't diving deep into some sort of weird Belgian style. It was this crossover that really started helping people kind of open up their their palates a bit. And I could say this is the wit beer was definitely one of the first styles that I ever had. Um, it was the one that was very approachable, kind of balanced on the the whole like weedy and orangey and kind of uh, a mix of coriander, all those types of flavors, very baking like. Um, yeah, and Alleg I mean, I still Allagash White Zero. I need to try this. This is an easy one to find too. So it I'll really to, is. It we, really is. We have over three hundred thousand total check-ins to this on Untapped. So mm -hmm. I need to get my hands on this one too. All right, next up on the list here, number three. Uh, this is Goose Island's Bourbon County brand stout. 
again, another a, a big fat goose egg for me on this one. Zero. This one's on the list because it was considered to be the first whiskey barrel aged beer. Really? Interesting. Okay. All right. It was actually um, an interesting note here is that it was actually um, entered into the uh, Great American Beer Festival in 1995 under the category of Imperial Stout, but it was disqualified for being too strong. Ah, okay. The the former Goose Island head brewer um, was quoted in this article basically saying that they, they lost because their beer was just too good. <laughs> That's another way of saying disqualified for not, not being exactly what the style had specified. That's, I mean, it, it, this is really interesting too because there are so many beers now that are barrel-aged and that are uh, cask-conditioned and, and that, that whole genre of beers there are entire breweries based on this now. The The idea of like Brewery Tarot and, and things like that here in Orange County that are these barrel-aged beers. They're just huge barrel houses. And again, over 262,000 check-ins on Untapped, 15% ABV. I can understand why it was disqualified. And once again, we actually have a few of these, several vintages hiding out in the office. Just may have to uh, may have to turn this turn this zero into a one two maybe. <laughs> I would say one. <laughs> Let's do two, one. Okay. You're, two, you're gonna have some trouble. Okay. <laughs> uh, next up, coming in at number two, we have Sam Adams Boston Lager. Boston Lager basically popularized the idea of microbrewing in the 1990s. They were one of the first independent breweries to really kind of hit the scene and just start growing. Um, basically, they just led the way for independently made beer at a time when, you know, big, fizzy, yellow beer was all th- was was the thing you drank. So on Untapped, we've got over 830,000 check-ins to Boston Lager. And again, I haven't had this. Unbelievable. Am I right? I can't believe you're, you're so far, you're... <laughs> I'm admitting to these atrocities. You're, <laughs> you're zero for four. Uh, I've definitely, I've had Boston lager. I've had several of the sub variants. Their winter lager is always good. I've had their summer, their spring, the rebel line that they did for a while there. But I mean, Boston lager itself, it's, it's classic. It's widely available. Um, and it, you know, it's still independently brewed. Um, and it, I mean, it's one of those ones that kind of stands the test of time. So I think what we're doing here on the untapped podcast, drinking socially, the untapped podcast, the official untapped podcast is we're coming up with a new segment where Kyle tries each of these top five beers because he hasn't checked into them before. Are you kidding? It's unbelievable. I know I'm, I'm really at a lot. Okay. So I think the last one here, I would hope that you've had, Let's and see. if not, we're going to have a real problem. The number one most influential beer, according to foodandwine.com, is. Drumroll. Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale. This was first brewed in 1980, and at, at the time it was groundbreaking um, in the fact that it was one of the first kind of widely produced pale ales. It was a departure from what was normally available and geared more towards the taste palettes of homebrewers like the founders of Sierra Nevada themselves. Got it. So, yes, you are correct. I have had this one before. I have four check-ins. Um, there are a total of over 882,000 check-ins to the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Um, this one is probably... This was on my list mainly because it was is and was a California staple. You can get this pretty much anywhere. The airport, um, beer halls uh, across the entirety of the West coast. 
uh, baseball games. I, I'm just kind of looking through a couple of different places here that I've I've checked into. Um, but this is this is for sure one of the like if you're looking for West Coast Pale, this is it. Yeah, this was one of the first to put it on the map. Yep. Last up, we have, do you really know what puts the sour in your sour beers? This article comes to us from OutsideOnline.com. Is that, so are you posing the question to me? Because of course I know about lactobacillic acid. And of course I, no, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. I, I, I know the, the like terminology and some of the, some of the words uh, when, I, when I'm going to check into and drink a wild ale or a sour beer or whatever. Um, but again, we've, we had a sour beer for this episode and it did it, not stack up to what I expected from no. a sour. It was uh, not to say anything necessarily negative about it, but it was not the puckering thing that I would expect from we, sour. Again, when you say sour, you expect sour patch kids, you expect warheads, you, and you can get that with some of the sour style, but what, I mean, what, what is giving the sour its sour taste? So start off here as craft beer drinkers. We generally like to know kind of what's in our beer. I know you've been kind of gearing more towards figuring out about the, the malts and you know, which specific hops you like. And with sours, we don't really know exactly what it is we're drinking all the time. According to Laura Limbach, the wood cellar director and blender at New Belgium Brewery, sour is a perception. It's not a style or a process. Okay, interesting. Counter to what I actually thought about about the entire, uh, again, process. It's not a process. There are several different ways to create a sour beer, um, and there's lots of different um, details that go into it. So uh, Lauren actually, in hopes of helping educate people, has teamed up with other breweries and barrel aging directors to create the sour and wild ale guild or swag oh my gosh that is that is the perfect acronym i love it so you asked before you know what makes a beer sour so there are three general ways that lauren goes on to explain um the first is kind of the easy way which is spiking your beer with lactic acid Um, not necessarily you doing it but the brewery spiking the beer with lactic acid the other way, which is considered the better option, is to kettle sour, which is where you add bacteria into the process, into the mash, and you let it steep and sit, um, and that way it, it slowly sours the mash over time, and then you use that to do your full brewing. So I'm guessing they're using the natural lactic acids that are inside of whatever is inside the mash and kind of turning that into the same sour component. Or, or adding outside bacteria to it, but instead of just like punching it in the face with the lactic acid, they're allowing it to steep and soak up all of that delicious sourness. Got it. Got it. The, the best uh, option as she points out is basically barrel aged or wild fermented um, where the kind of the fermentation happens slowly um, in bacteria inoculated wood. So this is where the bacteria is actually coming directly from the barrels that you're putting it in or even from the air. um, Ah. Classic, the, you know, um, classic ways of souring beers, um, were to leave them in open vats and just let them soak up the, whatever bacteria happened to be floating in the air. So those are the three ways that beers tend to get soured. Okay. Um, you know, and now the question is, how do you know what it is that you're getting? Sours have really taken off in popularity as I think we both know. Um, and there's not really a set of, um, standards for it. So, the best way to kind of figure out what you're getting is to look at the price. 
And, and how, what's the distinction there? So a lower price is typically going to be like your spiked or your kettle soured sour ales. Okay. Um, because you, you it's easier. Um, it takes less time. Right, right. It, the process is far more economical for the brewery. If you're looking for something of higher quality, you're going to want to get something that's barrel aged, which is going to come at a higher price point due to the time that the uh, fermentation takes. You're also going to want to look for terms like aged in oak barrels or wild fermented, because then you know that it's that kind of that natural process as opposed to the um, forced process. Sure. Not to say that manually adding your own, you know, lactobacillus or, um, you know, acids or bacteria is a bad way to go or going to produce bad beer. Um, You know, there are plenty of good beers that I know that both of us have had that is that simple. Well, and I know also there are breweries, sour, even sour specific breweries that are doing it all three ways. They're making a kettle sour. They're also just spiking it. And then they're also doing bear. They have a whole barrel aged program at the same time. So it's not necessarily a, you know, one brewery doing it one way. They're going to kind of uh, explore all of the different ways. Yep. And this, it's not so much about getting the better or best of the sour beers, but just knowing how your beer is being made or what might be in it. Now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped. If you've got any questions for us, send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and we'll be sure to answer it here in this segment. So the first question here that we have is from Paul on Facebook, and they say, when are you making a badge for barrel-aged beers? Hey! That's just what we were talking lines about. Lines right up. Yeah. It's pretty expensive, though. I will say the badge is pretty expensive. That's how you know it's good. It's a wild, it's a wild <laughs> fermented wild badge. wild fermented badge. <laughs> the bacteria is sitting right now. <sighs> it's, yeah, boy, and boy. To, to answer this one, it's, it's, a little, it's a little odd because we, we actually had a barrel-aged badge at one point. Um, the problem there that we ran into is that barrel aged isn't necessarily a style right and in it can order be a stout it could be again like we were talking about a sour it could be a pilsner even you could barrel age a pilsner exactly it's a, it's a more of a descriptor um and less of a category and unfortunately when we put our badges out there the criteria to unlock them it, it has to have some sort of trigger a lot of the beer-based badges that we have are based off of specific styles so um pale ale ipas um, and those can get even more specific to just Imperial IPAs or double IPAs or New England IPAs. Uh, so we have to have that that piece of information in there. And barrel-aged, unfortunately, doesn't fit. Um, you can always go by, say, like the term barrel-aged in the name. But then again, not every beer that is barrel-aged is called barrel-aged whatever. Right. So there's that. So unfortunately, this the barrel-aged badge that we did have out has been retired until we can figure out a better way to get it out to you. You could almost think, you could think of barrel-aged as a tertiary uh, additive to our whole style catalog that we've got. So we've got sort of the parent style, and then like you said, uh, double imperial or American or other is sort of that secondary style. Tertiary would be something that we don't account for right now, which would be barrel-aged or uh, kettle, wild, soured. kettle soured, wild fermented, things like that. So yeah. it would it would require a big change to the way that we have categorized beers for the last seven years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. It would be nice to have um, if we could figure out a good way to handle it because there are so many delicious barrel-aged beers out there. 
and I know that everyone would want to get that badge. But well, and barrel aged beers account for some of the most most highly rated beers on Untapped of all time. Yes, that is true. So for now, um, unfortunately, the answer is we do not have one, but we will see where that goes in the future. Show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions or feedback for us, be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at untapped on all of those platforms. If you could please take a moment to rate this show and write a review on Apple Podcasts, it would be greatly appreciated. The higher our rating goes, the more people will find our show and experience the goodness that you just did. You can find a link to Apple Podcasts on our podcast website, which is podcast.untapped.com. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.